Good morning. <laughs> it is good to be with you again. <clears throat> um, I guess I'm here today and, and next Sunday as well. So it's, it's uh, grateful for the opportunity to hold forth uh, with you. And um, thank you for your support for our school, financial and prayer support. We really appreciate uh, when folks like you partner with us and what God has been doing with us at a school. And we just, uh, God has blessed us. This is my 10th year and uh, we've, in the 10 years, at least that I've been there, it's been a steady trend upward and we really do believe that our best uh, years are still to come. So thank you for being a part of that and helping to make that uh, come to pass. Uh, so when I went to seminary uh, back in the 90s in Chicago, Deerfield, um, Trinity Divinity School, and so I was going to school there. I'd come back home to Windsor to work, right, make money so I could continue going to school there. So I remember coming back one Sunday, sorry, one uh, summer, and I reconnected with a friend that I went to high school with, and he said, hey, let's go to... Uh, because, of course, Windsor's right across from Detroit. So let's go to the Detroit Jazz, jazz Festival. Because he would go periodically. And, uh, I mean, jazz wasn't my thing, but sure, let's go. So we went to uh, the Jazz Festival and it was done at this huge um, outdoor... Um, I'm drawing a blank here. But it's, uh, it's those... You can help me out here. It's, you're sitting on steps and it goes down like that. Yes, like, wow, right? <laughs> so we're, it's a so concrete steps, amphitheater, and there's like thousands of people there. And so we're sitting on our step, and there's people all around. And so the stage is up down there. And so we're enjoying this concert. And so I'm here, and he's sitting to my left and watching uh, the performers. And then we hear this commotion. And so we kind of look and where the commotion is, and we see this guy standing there, really rugged-looking dude, standing there, white, tight-fitting fitting tank top, and he kind of walks in our direction, and he's holding something. I'm like, what? And, and people start standing up around us, and I'm still sitting down as well as my friend. And whatever he's holding, he... He tosses it in our direction. So it's about 20 feet from us. He was probably, I don't know, maybe like beyond that 20 feet, another like 50 feet or something like that. He tosses it in our direction. It's about, because it's an amphitheater, it's about this level. And I look at it, probably where the wall is. I go, man, that looks like a, and before I could say the word bomb, it exploded. And immediately, security pounced on him and took him away. And I, it blew a hole through my favorite shirt. And so I have this kind of this, uh, it had burned through the, the epidermis, the outer layer of my skin. And so if you're ever interested to know what that looks like beneath that, it's white, like a sheet of paper. And it's, mine was sizzling like an egg. And so Ian's like, oh, man, we should, I should take you to the medical hut. And I'm like, no, no, we're fine. Let's just keep watching. And he's like, no, no, like, like that must hurt. Oh, yeah, yeah, it does. But, you know, let's not wreck her even. Let's just keep watching this. He's like, no, like, I really would need to take you. I'm like, okay, fine. So we go to the medical hut, and uh, he 
he patches me up, and while he's patching me up, and he says, you do need to go to Merge after this. Um, policeman comes, takes my statement, um, and he says, you're going to press charges? I'm like, yeah, he wrecked my favorite shirt. Of course I am. <laughs> and so anyway, we hop, get into the car, hop the border, go back home to Windsor, go to the nearest hospital. And so I'm waiting there in the Emerge, of course, for hours. And... I'm just replaying this whole thing in my head because it was just so surreal, right? Like, we could have sat anywhere in this huge amphitheater and we chose to sit in this particular section. And then that, that dude, that rough-looking dude, could have come in in any entrance, but he chose to come into the entrance nearest us. And he could have walked and tossed that in any direction, but he tossed it in our direction. And even though there were people who were closer to it than I was, including my friend, only one person suffered damage, and that was me. And I'm just like, God, like, what is going on here? Like, why is, why is this happening? Like, why me? Like, did I do something wrong? Like, what? Like, have you ever been there? Have you ever, stuff has happened in your life or maybe in the life of somebody uh, you love and uh, it feels like God's not quite in control. It feels like, you know, in the steering wheel of your life, God has just said, hey, look, Wayne, no hands. Oops, shouldn't have did that. Have you ever been there? This morning, I want to point you to a text that addresses this issue, and it's in Psalm 135. Psalm 115 was read, and it sounds a lot like uh, 135. Um, and so it's emphasizing for us the idea of God and God's relationship to creation, God's relationship to us being a part of his creation. So Psalm 135, and uh, I'm going to read the psalm, and then I'm going to pray for us. So Psalm 135, praise the Lord, praise the name of the Lord, praise him, you servants of the Lord, you who minister in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praise to his name, for that is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob to be his own. Israel to be his treasured possession. I know that the Lord is great, that our Lord is greater than all gods. The Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens and on earth, in the seas and all their depths. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. He struck down the firstborn of Egypt, the firstborn of men and animals. He sent his signs and wonders into your midst, O Egypt, against Pharaoh and all his servants. He struck down many nations and killed mighty kings. Sion, king of the Amorites, Og, king of Bashan, and all the kings of Canaan. And he gave their land as an inheritance, an inheritance to his people Israel. Your name, O Lord, endures forever, and your renown, O Lord, through all generations. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, made by the hands of men. They have mouths, but 
cannot speak. Eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. Nor is there breath in their mouths. Those who make them will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. O house of Israel, praise the Lord. O house of Aaron, praise the Lord. O house of Levi, praise the Lord. You who fear him, praise the Lord. Praise be to the Lord from Zion to him who dwells in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, once again, we bow in your presence, thanking you for this opportunity to look and gaze into your word. And so we pray that you would open up our eyes to see what you'd show us by your spirit, our ears to hear what your spirit would say to us. Uh, Give us soft, responsive hearts to obey what you show us, Lord. Increase our vision for who you are and for what you've done, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, the author of Psalm 135, he is full of praise. He's full of praise. Uh, Verses one through three, he says, praise the Lord, praise the name of the Lord, praise him, you servants of the Lord, you who minister in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God, praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praise to his name, for that is pleasant. So that, that first expression there, praise the Lord, Uh, In Hebrew, it's hallelujah. So the psalm leads off with hallelujah. Those are the first words of the psalm. And then if you drop down to 21, the final words, it's the same expression, hallelujah. So it's only used there in the beginning and there at the end. So you kind of have this hallelujah sandwich going on. You've got these layers of God's salvific work, uh, his redemptive work between these two uh, slabs of hallelujah, if you will. So you've got this hallelujah sandwich and the, the author of the psalm, we don't know who it is, but he's, he's full of praise uh, because of God's sovereignty, right? Verses five and six, I know that the Lord is great, that our Lord is greater than all gods, for the Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens and on the earth and in the seas and in all their depths. Right, so, so he's full of praise because God is sovereign, because God, uh, and sovereignty refers to God's reign, right, as we sung, his reign, his rule, that God rules over that which he created. And so the question is really, okay, so how best do we describe this reign of God in creation, this rule of God? Is God generally sovereign, whereby there are periods in your life and in your life that God says, look, no hands, whoops, that was a bad idea. And stuff slips in, stuff that God, God's like, oh, I'm, I don't, I'm sorry that happened, but you know, I pledge to you that I'm gonna make lemonade from these lemons. It really didn't want this to happen. Is, is, so is God generally sovereign? Or is he specifically sovereign whereby even those lemons must pass through his hand to get to your life? The psalmist sums it up in verse six when he says, the Lord does whatever he pleases, whatever he wants, God does. And that sets him apart from the idols, from the false gods that he will mention later on in the psalm. So what does that look like according to Psalm 135? God does whatever he wants. What does that look like? Whatever he pleases. Two things and then a third point. First, we can see from the psalm that God does whatever he wants with the weather. 
right? Verse seven, he makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. Like God controls the weather. I love how we read about it in Job. In Job, God says this. God says to the snow, fall on the earth. And to the rain shower, be a mighty downpour, so that everyone may know his work. The breath of God produces ice, and the broad waters become frozen. He loads the clouds with moisture. He scatters his lightning through them at his direction. They swirl around over the face of the whole earth to do whatever he commands. God controls the weather. We have been trying to predict the weather forever, it seems, right? Like we have the, our meteorologists give you the three-day forecast, the five-day, the seven-day forecast. We try to predict the weather. In fact, I remember in elementary school, there was four of us. We were part of this weather team that kind of worked out of the science uh, department. So we were, uh, the four of us, we were the weather team. So grades set, six, seven, and eight. And so we would rotate who would come in, but two of us would have to come in early before school started. And then we'd go to the science department and they had all the instruments for us. So we'd take, you know, the weather direction, the speed, the temperature, barometric pressure, all that stuff. Right, and, and, and so during the morning announcements, whoever was giving them, they would ask one of us weather people to come in and share the weather. So we would give what the weather was today and then we would predict the weather for tomorrow based on all of our analysis that 11 and 12 year olds are so capable of doing. And so this one time, we, during the announcements, I don't know which one of us it was. Hopefully it wasn't me. I don't remember. But we described the weather. You know, wind is this and temperature is this. Probably going to go up to this. And tomorrow, the prediction was uh, fair and clearing skies. That was our prediction. Well, tomorrow happened in Windsor, which was where we were, got hit with its worst snowstorm in its history. So even at grade eight grad, our science teacher had to bring that up. It's like, oh, you're bringing that up. Like, what? So we've been trying to predict weather forever. We continue to do it, but we can't control the weather. As good as we might be able to predict it, we can't control the weather. We can put pe people on the moon. We can send probes to Mars. We cannot. We are unable to predict to control the weather. God controls the weather. That's what the scripture says, here and elsewhere. Now, we don't always know why God does what he does with the weather, right? Like, we don't. What do these names have in common? Ivan, Katrina, Rita, Dean, Felix, Irene. Those were all massive hurricanes that killed thousands of people caused hundreds of thousands of people to be dislodged from homes destroyed, brought poverty to areas for a time. We don't know why God does what he does with the weather. 
As God himself says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Just because we don't understand doesn't mean God doesn't control something. All it simply means is we just don't understand. We don't have all the pieces of the puzzle. And the mistake we mustn't make is to, um, is to think that God owes us an answer for some of the things that happen. Boy, when I get to heaven, going to have a big talk with God because I expect an answer to this. Why, did this. why did my dad die on vacation? I expect an answer. God's not accountable to you. He's not accountable to any person. There's only one God who's a triune God, and that God is not accountable to anybody here or elsewhere. When Paul was um, discussing sovereignty in Romans 9, and how God sovereignly elects one person and not another person unto eternal life, Paul raises this this, uh, question. He says, okay, one of you will say to me then, um, why does God still blame us for who resists his will? Right? So if it's God who elects someone to faith and he doesn't elect someone else, so that's someone else who lives their life as an unbeliever because God did not elect them. Hey, why does he blame me? I'm just doing what he predestined me to do, which is unbelief. Like, why does he blame me? He shouldn't blame me. I'm doing his will, so actually, I should see you in heaven. And Paul's response to that isn't, well, you know, we got to understand this philosophically and compatibilism and... And his response is, but who are you, old man, to talk back to God? Like, who are you? Who do you think you are to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to him who formed it? Why did you make me like this? Why did you make me like this? Who are you to talk back to God? Who do you think you are to talk back to God? To moderns, it's like, well, I have an IQ of 166. and I, uh, So, who are you to talk back to God? We love to quack back to God. But Paul says, who are you? Who are you? This truth that God does whatever he pleases with weather on our planet, it shouldn't drive us away from God. It should actually drive us to God and should heighten our reverence for, our, for God, our creator, our redeemer, our awe and our holy fear of the Lord. God does what he wants with the weather. Second thing from the psalm is that God does what he wants with people. And he gives us two examples from the psalm. To begin with, God judges whomever he wants. He judges whomever he wants. Look at verses 8 to 11. He struck down the firstborn of Egypt, the firstborn of men and animals. He sent his signs and wonders into your midst, O Egypt, against Pharaoh and all his servants. He struck down many nations and killed mighty kings, Sion, king of the Amorites, Og, king of Bashan, and all the kings of Canaan. So God executes judgments on his enemies, and God's enemies are those people who reject him, reject his truth, reject his values, reject his way, reject his son, Jesus. And he has the power and the authority to execute judgment on his enemies. 
Now, we'd love to be able to execute judgment on our enemies, truth be told, uh, and we try and do it in some ways. We slam them through social media or whatever. Uh, maybe we fight them. Uh, but at the end of the day, we do not have the power nor the authority to judge our enemies the way God has the power and authority to judge his enemies. Right? Sometimes we just lack power. You have a bad boss, you don't have the power to do anything against your boss other than quit. We just lack the power. In seminary, um, so I'm a bit of a neat freak. Kids have kind of wrecked that a little bit. I'm a lot less of a neat freak than I used to do, but I'm still kind of neat. But in seminary, as a single guy, uh, my room was immaculate, just immaculate, as all rooms should be, really. I just don't understand. Anyway, so, and I would get teased about that every now and again. I remember this one guy came in, Mike, and uh, so he's at the entrance of my room, and, and he's eating a cookie. And, you know, some cookies are soft, so there's very little crumb damage going on there. But then you got those hard ones, and you can just look, the crumb is just dropping. It's like, please don't come into my room. Please don't come into my room. Sure enough, he comes into my room very intentionally. Right? He knows what he's doing. He comes over to my bed, my neatly made bed, of course, and he pulls down the top sheet, and he's eating. And then when he finishes it, he does this, and he pulls it back over and walks back to the entrance. And I'm just like, oh, man. So in that moment, I would love to have executed judgment on that young man. <laughs> but I couldn't because he was also, in a few years previously, on the U.S. national wrestling team. <laughs> he would have killed me. I lacked the power to execute judgment on that vile, vile act that he just committed. Sometimes we lack the power. Uh, sometimes we lack the authority. I remember when my kids were really young, and the oldest span of time or years between the oldest and the youngest is, is seven years. And so there are times when the oldest would see uh, the youngest do something that he shouldn't be doing, and he would say, hey, stop doing that. Mom and dad don't like that. Stop doing that. And the youngest like, you're not the boss of me. And he would just keep doing it because, because Ethan lacked the authority. He wasn't the parent. And so he lacked the authority to be able to like get his kid brother to stop doing that. Like God has both the power and the authority to execute judgment on his enemies. We don't. Sometimes we might, but we don't typically. God judges whomever he wants. But then also look, God blesses whomever he wants. Right, verse four, for the Lord has chosen Jacob to be his own, Israel to be his treasured possession. And then pop down to verses 12 to 14. And he gave their land, the land of these kings that he judged, he gave their land as an inheritance, an inheritance to his people Israel. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, O Lord, through all generations. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. God blesses whomever he wants to bless. Why did God choose Israel of all the nations? Right? Why did he choose them? And before them, because obviously the father of Israel is Abraham. Why did he choose Abraham amongst all these people that he could have? And when you read some of the writings of the early rabbis, the writing 2nd century, 3rd century, 4th century, 5th century, they try and rationalize why it is, say, that God chose Abraham over all the other people, uh, or why God chose Israel. But Scripture doesn't say, in fact, it, in regards to Israel, it actually says the opposite. Like, 
When Moses is preparing Israel for the promised land, Moses is reminding them of how God had worked in their history. And he says, you know what, Israel? God didn't choose you because, and set his affection on you because, because you're more numerous than the other nations, because you're not. He didn't choose you because you're stronger than all the nations. He didn't set his affection on you against all the other nations because, because you're stronger than they are, because you're not, or more righteous. He simply says, God just chose to love you. And because he chose to set his affection, his love on you, this is the result. God blesses whomever he wants to bless. Jesus said the same thing on the Sermon on the Mount, that God causes his son to shine on the just and the unjust, that he causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. God blesses whomever he wants to bless. He has that freedom to do that. He does what he wants with people. I remember years ago, I uh, attended a Promise Keeper rally. This was when I was in Windsor, so in Detroit. And uh, one of the speakers was Bill McCartney, who uh, uh, was a college, famous college coach at the time in NCAA, um, won a national championship. And so he was giving one of the messages there. And it was largely, it was a very good, powerful message. But then he said something that just kind of, the hair on the back of my neck just shot up. He said, you know what, if we as men, if we don't take our place as leaders, then God's hands are tied. God's hands are tied. If we don't step up, God's hands, our creator's hands, are tied. In other words, God is powerless. In other words, God is impotent. If we don't do our bit. Wow, so we, men, as a collective, the implication clearly is, oh, so really, we have the ability through our disobedience to tie God's hands, to tie our creator's hands, to put him in the back seat. Wow. I don't see that here from this psalm, let alone the rest of Scripture. I see the opposite. God does whatever he wants with people. King Solomon said this, that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord and the Lord directs it like channels of water wherever he pleases. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. The prime minister's heart is in the hand of the Lord. The president's heart is in the hand of the Lord and the Lord directs it like water channels wherever he will. That's what scripture says. That's what scripture teaches, that God does whatever he wants with people. You might not get it or understand it. That's fair because he is infinite and we are finite, right? We're like a little drop versus the Pacific Ocean. So that's fair. We don't understand. But just because we don't understand doesn't mean it's not true. God does whatever he wants with people. And so this, this truth ought to drive us to reverence, a deeper reverence for God, a deeper awe for God, a holy fear of God, our creator. 
So the third thing I want to point out to you from this psalm is this, that you have this contrast between God, who does whatever he wants with the weather, whatever he wants with people, then you have idols, right? And idols, by contrast, can't do anything, right? Verses 15 to 18, the idols of the nations are silver and gold made by the hands of man. They have mouths, but cannot speak, eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear, nor is there breath in their mouths. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. So by contrast, idols are impotent. They're impotent. They're powerless. They, they only have the power that we give them. Did you know that? An idol only has the power that you give that idol. Idols exist because human beings exist. Right? Idols exist because human beings exist. The, the gold, the silver, the stone, the totem poles, they only exist because human beings exist. If humans did not exist, there would be no idols. Now, the idols in our society aren't stone or wood. They're like the isms. Those are our idols. The isms, rationalism, where we elevate the mind. Everything is about rational and what we can figure out. If we can't figure it out, then it can't be true. Rationalism, materialism, living for money, because money, 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 money status, materialism, that's an idol in our society, or hedonism, pleasure, that's an idol. But again, those idols exist because we exist. If we didn't exist, if we weren't created, those isms wouldn't exist either. Idols are nothing. God is sovereign. That's why the psalmist is so fired up about praising God. Look at the last few verses. He says, O house of Israel, praise the Lord. <clears throat> Excuse me. O house of Aaron, praise the Lord. O house of Levi, praise the Lord. Praise be the Lord from Zion to him who dwells in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So this same truth about God's sovereignty, it led Paul to worship. In Romans, right? Romans 9 through 11, he's discussing these doctrines of predestination and election in the place of Israel, uh, despite their widespread unbelief. And Paul ends it with, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. You see, the truth of God's sovereignty is meant to lead us to greater worship, greater heartfelt worship, greater adoration for our God, right? a greater reverence and, and holy fear for our Lord. And the truth of his sovereignty ought to lead us to assurance and comfort in our trials, that when we're afflicted in our trials, it's not because God went, no hands, oops. No, 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 because God is doing something in and through those trials. He's accomplishing much for his glory, for your betterment as his child. And then we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That's the truth of God's sovereignty. So I sat there with my friend in that uh, emergency room in the hospital, just playing, replaying this whole thing for hours. 
Like, how, how could this happen? Why did this happen? I, I don't get it. So, sometime after that, uh, I got, like, correspondence in the mail from the courts, one of the courts in Detroit. Here's a court date, because remember, you know, I'm charging this guy for wrecking my shirt, of course. So, um, the court date is set. So, that's fine. So, I go with my parents, and we go, and uh, which was, wow, anyway. Uh, he sentence or, or he, he comes there and they do their thing and then we go back home. And then sometime later I get another correspondence from the court saying, you have uh, the opportunity, if you choose, to write in a victim impact statement. Right? So I don't have to be there to give it, to read it, but the judge will if you choose to do that. Right? So you're just in a victim impact statement. You're, this is how this crime has affected affected me. So I said, yeah. I prayed about it, reflected on it. I said, yeah, you know what? I think I, I will. I will do this victim impact statement. And so uh, I wrote in the statement. I said, you know, um, yeah, like this fellow, and he did have this long rap sheet, by the way. He deserves to be punished according to the law. He did something wrong. He was obviously guilty and witnesses all over the place. So yeah, he needs to be charged. Uh, in terms of suffering, well, I have this huge scar that I'm recovering from. He wrecked my favorite shirt, so I can't do that anymore. Uh, and you know what? Like, even there's a little bit of hangover from that in, in this way, in this sense, in that some weeks later, I'm out with the same friend. We're walking around downtown Windsor in broad daylight, and uh, a car backfires, right? It's, People all over the place, both sides of the street. A car back, like muffler, right? It backfires. We both drop to the ground. <laughs> you know, like, whoa, what? It's just a backfire. But when you just come through what we've come through, it's like, oh, you know, what's going on again? So, yeah, like, what that guy did, yeah, there's some, some harm that he did. Having said that, in my statement, I continue, um, I declare that I forgive that man. I forgive him because the Lord Jesus Christ has forgiven me for all the heinous stuff I've done. And I use that as a segue into writing out the gospel very clearly, very specifically, the gospel with an invitation at the end to believe Jesus, to receive Jesus. And so when the court would reconvene, that statement is read by the judge, the judge is there, the bailiff, security, the defendant, all the other people who are there because the judge is seeing lots of people in that one session. They're all hearing the gospel, very clearly presented. People I'd never would ever have crossed paths with, but they're hearing the gospel presented and they're being challenged to respond to the gospel. Like God is so creative in how he does things in terms of witnessing, in terms of advancing the gospel, in terms of just shaping us and molding us. He is so creative. He's amazing. Oh, house of Israel, praise the Lord. Oh, house of Aaron, praise the Lord. Oh, house of Levi, praise the Lord. You who fear him, praise the Lord. Praise be the Lord from Zion to him who dwells in Jerusalem. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we, we bow in your presence, thanking you 
that uh, we have life. We have breath in our lungs because you have uh, given us life. You've ordained life for us. And beyond physical life, because of sending your son Jesus into this world to die on the cross for our sins, to be raised again, that now through faith in him, in his name, we have eternal life, that we will uh, live forever with you. And we are so grateful for that. And we are so grateful that you, as our creator, as our sovereign, as our redeemer, are in charge of all things. And there, we confess there are times that things happen and we just don't understand. Forgive us when we allow our lack of comprehension and understanding to, to color uh, the way we view you or to, um, Lord, to think deep down that you owe us something when you owe us nothing. And technically, the only thing you owed sinners is eternal separation from you. So God, we pray that you would, um, that you would help us to recognize this truth of your sovereign rule and reign over creation, over our lives and over in the entirety of creation. For all of creation uh, reveals your glory in varying ways and varying degrees, reveals your glory Father, I do pray for any here who are uh, struggling with any particular affliction, whether it be a relational, uh, broken relationship uh, of a close relationship or whether it be physical affliction, um, financial pains, Lord, whatever that might be. And it seems like things are... uh, You just weren't watching. That's what it feels like at times. You just weren't watching, God. If you would only watch more carefully, in fact, the truth is that you've never stopped watching carefully. And that, Lord, you've allowed these things to come into our lives in order to shape us and mold us and make us like Jesus in order to advance your kingdom around us. And so, God, uh, increase our faith and help and and increase clarify and refine our vision of you, that we might see you clearly as presented in the scriptures, that we might see you clearly. Lord, and that vision of you, that clarified, refined vision of you would uh, impart grace to our hearts and minds. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.